Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to the Uncommon Drive podcast with Jeff Cross and Chad Ozy. Join us as we look at life, leadership, and legacy through the lens of sports officiating. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Uncommon Drive podcast. We are so thrilled to have you with us today. Normally, we try to put out our podcast every Friday, and we are a little late this time around. Uh, in part because of uh, what you're going to experience today. Normally, I am joined by Jeff Cross. Yes, yes. And uh, I am joined by him once again today. Uh, But we also have a special guest with us today. Alan Jones is with us. Uh, the three of us are working together at a uh, at a tournament that we'll share a little bit with you about in our next uh, podcast. We'll share a, a little bit about what's going on there. But today, uh, we want to talk with Alan about a, a, a very interesting topic um, that actually came up within the uh, the drive down to this tournament. The three mm-hmm. of us were able to. Uh, to carpool together down here. The uncommon drive that we had. The uncommon drive that we had. That is exactly (laughs) correct. Yes, it was. It it was uncommon in more than a few ways. Uh, But uh, Alan comes from a law enforcement background. Mm -hmm. Correct. Uh, Had been a baseball coach for quite a while and then uh, transferred over to the world of sports officiating and has now been working college baseball. How long, Alan? Uh, I'm a COVID junior. COVID junior. I so love it. two years, but three years total. Yeah, three years. Well, well, we're going to say that the kids have to count COVID because they only have so many years of eligibility. We just keep going just and going, going. So you don't have to call it a COVID year. Well, yeah. I'm trying You're to take good. a year off my age. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, let me know if it works. <laughs> I will. Uh, Alan has been a, a very faithful listener to our podcast. And uh, a lot of times when we send out uh, questions on the podcast or we ask you guys to respond, Alan's one of the first people that will uh, plug back in and and give us feedback and let us know what's going on. And and when we had this conversation on the way down to this tournament, immediately it was like, we need to talk about this on the podcast. And because of Alan's law enforcement background, now sliding into the world of sports officiating, we thought we need to include Alan uh, in this uh, in this topic as we talk today, so I'm really excited about having him in here and being a part of this. I think we, we'll make sure that we, everyone knows also that Alan's not only in law enforcement, and you're probably going to get to this, and I apologize for interrupting you, but you know, he comes from a, a supervisory Correct. position in law enforcement. He wasn't just a beat cop. I'm sure he spent some time there, but you know he's been through lots of training 
um, for his his position there in law enforcement. So. Um, when, when he's going to speak about this, I think it's going to have some great value. Absolutely. And so uh, along that line, Alan, why don't you just give us kind of a, a little quick summary of, you know, what you've done professionally and then as you go into the, the sports officiating world, kind of kind of what you've done there. Sure. So uh, I retired from the Champaign County Sheriff's Office after 30 years of service there. The last 16 years were completely administrative with the last six years as the chief deputy, which was the, the number two, the, the highest non-elected member of the agency at the time. My training has uh, gone from you know detective, investigative, and along that lines. And I had the uh, fortune of attending the FBI National Academy in Quantico, Virginia back in 2015, which is essentially a graduate level training for law enforcement administrators. So having the law enforcement situation back in the 90s, I did some officiating before my kids were born and, and early on, and then my conflict with my job assignment made it difficult to be off in the afternoon to umpire. So I gave that moved on to that, did some coaching. Once I finished coaching high school baseball when my kids had graduated from all the school, all four of our boys, then uh, I decided, you know, I can't be away from baseball. Mm -hmm. So I, I've got to find a way to stay connected. And, and officiating was the key. And it's it's been nothing but a blessing. It's absolutely grand to get in the car after the game's over with and not worry about who's eligible, mm. who's hurt, mm -hmm. and whose parents are upset with you. Mm. I don't have to worry about any of that. You kind of can relate to that, can't well, you, Jeff? Yeah, I can guarantee all the parents are still upset with you. They're just upset with you in a different way. That's, that's true. All. That's true. But at this point in time, the give a care factor yeah, is right. a little that's bit right. different. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Give a care factor. I like it. Yeah. I like that a lot. Mm. Uh, and so as you moved into the, the sports officiating world, um, you actually kind of moved into the college ranks pretty quickly. Um, you know, you did a little bit of high school, that kind of thing. But, I mean, really, what, within the first couple of years of being back at, at it, you, you moved into college, or how did that work? The very first baseball game I worked, I started officiating in 2019 in the summer. Did a bunch of high school travel tournaments and that. Uh, then did uh, went to a couple camps. That's mm -hmm. where I had the fortune of meeting you. But the very first baseball game I worked in 2020 was a Division three college baseball game. Mm -hmm. Before, you know, ended up being COVID took away the high school season, but I still had not even worked an official varsity high school contest when I was uh, fortunate enough to be assigned to a college contest. Mm -hmm. And there's a drastic difference between my performance that day and even where I am. So time and experience is, is, is incredibly beneficial. Reps, reps are important. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, uh, and the reason I wanted to bring that up is, you know, we've talked over the last several podcasts about, you know, the importance of camps and clinics and things like that. <clears throat> the reason Alan made that transition, obviously he's got a high baseball IQ from what he's done coaching and being around the game as long as he has. And that's very, very helpful. Uh, but because, uh, because he went the camp route, he went the clinic route, rather than just, well, I'll learn from anybody and everybody around me, because he, he went that more structured schooling uh, route, uh, there were some opportunities that opened up to him because he's learning the right way from the get-go, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is just a great reminder to us sometimes to hear that that's, that's so helpful. So if you're out there, you're saying, man, should I go to a camp this year? Should I go to a clinic this year? The answer is yes. Go get yourself there and, and find that training and, and what it does for you. So here we have somebody who has a, a long term experience in law enforcement. Uh, first, you know, actually uh, being more on the street than you know in that supervisory kind of uh, kind of role, and then you know moving into the sports officiating world. 
you mentioned to us on the way down that you see a lot of parallels between what happens in law enforcement and what happens uh, in the sports world, specifically when it comes to, I'm going to call it mindset, right? And you talk about this idea of warrior versus guardian. Can you explain to us what, what that means? So, First of all, is this something that you've learned through your training or is this something that you kind of came up on your own? No, it's definitely part of training. It's okay. a cultural aspect of what is actually going on in our country today in regards to the manner of law enforcement in communities. And when I talk about that in, over the course of my career, when we, when I first started out in the late 80s, early 90s, we were heavy in the war on drugs. We were heavy in crime fighting. You know, the, the context of those terms that I just used to you are war. Mm-hmm. We're battling. We're out there to fight the good fight, to solve the problem, to eradicate. And in some ways, there's a, a, a application of the word like occupy in many ways to take over an area and make it safe, make mm-hmm. people feel safe. And that from the perspective of the police officer. And there was, there's always also now an undertone in law enforcement in regards to, I'd say brotherhood, but thin blue line, mm. I got your back, I'm here to protect you. And a razor's edge with that is that I'm going to be here for you to support you at all times to make sure you live mm. and you don't get hurt. But at the time that you cross that line and you're now on the other side of the razor and you're violating somebody's rights or you're being out of line, then I'm not going to stand here and allow you to do that. I have to be able to say, stop. You're, mm-hmm. You need to stop what you're doing. It's, it's out of line. So you have that brotherhood perspective from the law enforcement culture. Very close-knit group have to stick together because us versus them mentality. Now transition to my role as officiating. As I go to these different locker rooms, as I go to these different places or read in these online forums, what seems to be the strong content of what is being said amongst the officials is we have to stick together. It's us versus them. We have to make sure that we are in control, that we are in charge, that we look out for each other. And so to me, it was a stark contrast to where law enforcement is now law enforcement now especially since ferguson in 2014 2013 2014 somewhere in that time frame is really being forced to reevaluate the way they work within a community to more of a guardian mentality i'm not here to occupy your community i need to be here to work with your community i need to earn your trust and respect i in order to be an effective law enforcement agency, there has to be a community element that allows for trust. Otherwise, where would the information to solve crimes come from? Uh. Where would the activity and trust that, yes, something happened to me, I'm going to call the police because they'll do something for me. Some communities, some individuals will not call the police because nah, they can't do anything for me. Or they won't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. Or they might hurt me. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, so the guardian versus warrior mentality and, and philosophy is really a department to department, depending upon the leadership style of that agency, depending upon the community and where they are. But I think that the, there's a huge trend on that side in law enforcement to, to kind of transition to that where possible. 
um, you know, the term is not intended to be derogatory, but a kinder and gentler way of law enforcement seems to be better received. So when you just, I want to know your thoughts. So are your thoughts that if you are in law enforcement, it used to be warrior. Now it's going towards guardian in officiating. Do you believe it used to be warrior and still is warrior or is it moving towards guardian or do we wish it would move towards guardian? So one of the recognitions that I perceive coming into the officiating world is that it is more warrior than it is guardian. Mm -hmm. I think there's an element of groups, there's an element in officiating that are really pushing for a humility or a human response. You know, we used to say humanize the badge. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd like to us to encourage humanize the blue mm -hmm. in regards to that is that so that we can relate. There are those, I mean, everybody has a different style and I'm not knocking their styles, what's mm -hmm. made them successful. What I've noticed though, is that it becomes and can become very combative merely because of an approach of I'm the warrior here, do what I say, do it now, go there now, don't talk to me now, mm -hmm. versus a, 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 a gentler or you know a, a guardian approach where ultimately the goal is that the game and the rules of the game win. Mm. And many times, we used to, in law enforcement with juveniles, and many people I hope would relate to this with your own child, if you tell a juvenile or a youth to do something and they voice their displeasure while they're doing it, keyword while they're doing it, you've accomplished your goal. At times, you can allow for a little bit of, dad, that's not, come on, dad, I, I don't have time, I don't want to do this, why are you picking on me, why do I have to do that? But the entire time, your son's cleaning up the room, mm -hmm. mission accomplished. So, you know, I use a phrase, and I don't, Chad, I don't know if you've ever used this phrase or not, but in, in officiating, whether it be uh, baseball or basketball or whatever the sport might be, I like to use the phrase, we need to service the game. So that's our job and when we go out and officiate the game. Obviously, we need to enforce the rules and, and, and um, the mechanics of the game, but we need to be servicing that 40 minutes in basketball or the seven innings in baseball. So would you say that servicing the game would be would fall under the guardian yeah. aspect? Absolutely. I mean, it is. it carries service and guardian and um, officiating mm -hmm. really kind of, to me, seem to be synonymous. Mm -hmm. When you're inserting, directing, fighting at every turn mm -hmm. for a perceived control mm -hmm. or a perceived level of, of respect demanded mm -hmm. versus respect earned. Uh, I think and this is the, to me, this is the dichotomy that I've seen coming into officiating where my world was so much into service and so much into guardian into I can meet you in the middle again, knowing that I'm going to win. I have the final say. Right. There is nothing out there outside of a, an, a blown rule interpretation, a protest that's going to override a decision that I make in judgment. Mm -hmm. How I deliver that and how it's received are to me important factors in what I do. So how do we, how do we change? How, 
if we're saying guardian is, you know, because law enforcement is kind of going there, and I'm assuming some law, law enforcement agencies have seen some success in their communities by looking more towards a guardian uh, working style opposed to a warrior, what do we need to do as officials to, uh, two questions, what do we need to do as officials to, you know, lean towards more of a guardianship? And the second question is, what do we need to stop to give off the perception of warrior. So this conversation, especially on my end, has to do with what we can control. Okay, and what we can control is our own behaviors mm -hmm. and our own actions. We cannot control responses by fans outside the fence, coaches who are clearly all about being a warrior with everybody around them. I think it's important that we talk and, and ourselves uh, in, in our groups and see where that fits. I know that there's going to be those that are going to would do a huge pushback on this very thought. Mm -hmm. I've been in the locker room with many guys that, and, and not many, with a guy or two that have said, Alan, you're too friendly mm -hmm. or you're too soft, mm -hmm. which I thought was an interesting phrase mm -hmm. for a guy with my credentials yeah, right. and, and, yeah, and personality. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to kind of talk about a little bit and, and, and uh, spread that. I think uh, I heard it presented to me recently from um, Brian DeBrower actually talked about this concept of kindness, but being willing to be stubborn enough to, or I didn't even use the phrase courage enough to, courageous enough to actually take enforcement action when you have to take it. When it comes down to that immediate play, you've got a batter's interference on a stolen base. Mm -hmm. Having the courage to make that call is one thing. How you deliver making that call and then address the aftermath of the decision mm -hmm. is the other. Mm -hmm. And a lot, of, you know, much of that is starts with you mm -hmm. and your team and how you present it and the communication, how it's received and interpreted, you can't control but your continued response to that can be belligerent mm -hmm. or it can be tolerant to the point where there becomes a line in the sand that you really can't cross anymore. Mm -hmm. From the law enforcement side, we use the thing called verbal judo. Sure. And you've referenced this before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people know about it, but it's just the art of convincing somebody to do something or accept something that they weren't ready to accept. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the approach we can take is going to take us in a law in a direction that we need to go. So, like, from my own personal experience, when I have situations, we'll just say uh, batter's interference, and um, we have to make that call. Obviously, when we make that call, it's in a firm, you know, authoritative kind of voice and mannerisms. And then when I want to have to explain this call to a coach or a manager. My goal is I want to be able to be clear and concise in my words, and I want to be it. I want it to come across where they I have their attention in a way that that they're listening to what I have to say because they're trying to understand the process of what why I had to call this rule or the way I called this rule, the way the rule was uh, written for us to enforce. So if I can get them to stay on that path maybe they might lose sight in they just got they just lost a runner they just lost a batter runner there on that on that play but they understand that that's how the rule so if, if i can be decisive in those those phrases 
opposed to just coming out and yelling, that's just the way the rule is, and walk away. I got to get them to, exp- I got to, I may have to say a few extra words, a few extra rule references that will explain those things so the coach can understand. So when we walk away, even though Coach A may not agree with the call, but they understand how I got to the ruling. Without, without question. When you, when we as officials are going to have the courage to make the call and then go through the process of delivering the information, you already should expect an elevated response from, a, from the loser, if you will, or those impacted by the decision. And when you have somebody who's negatively impacted by a decision, their emotions are high. And you, Jeff, you, Chad, you guys have referenced this. You have to stay neutral. You have to be the one who maintains your emotion. No different than in the middle of a, a domestic disturbance in a house where mm. everybody's emotions are just through the roof and there's a whole lot of finger pointing and you this and you that. There has to be a calming factor mm-hmm. in order to move on to the next level. Sure. And the next level would be the next play mm. and the decision it made and how that impacts moving forward. And you know, being a crew member or a group of, uh, you know, a group of officials, when you get together, if you get the chance to talk before you have to deal with the coach, that helps. Mm -hmm. If you are immediately involved with the coach, it's important for us not to elevate ourselves. Mm -hmm. Very important to stay at that neutral point. And like you said, clearly state what I have. And there's multiple ways of doing it. Rule says you can't do that. You did it. Sorry, coach. That's the end of it. It don't work, does it? It doesn't work. (laughs) And, and, as opposed to, you know, you go back to the things that we do learn. You answer questions, mm-hmm. not statements, mm-hmm. and allow them, hear them, allow them to say it. But it's been my experience that 99% of the time in those scenarios when a coach comes to me, the, the, there is a question. What did you have? What did you see? What do you got? Mm-hmm. That clearly gives you the opportunity to say, from my vantage point, I saw this, and use rule reference, use mm-hmm. rule book phrase, mm-hmm. As such, we have to do this. Yeah. Game yesterday, batter's interference, long game. Batter is called out, runners return to first base, coach comes down, looks at me and goes, I don't understand why you did that. I said, all right, which part don't you understand? Why is the batter out? Batter is out because they are the ones who impeded the throw. That is the one who impeded the throw. And so, therefore, no matter what his count was or what he done, he is now out. He's the violator. Mm-hmm. Okay? And the guy has to go back to first. Absolutely. When this guy interferes, causes the problem, we can't allow you to gain a base on top of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you keep your base runner, but you're going to lose your batter. That's how I handled it. Mm-hmm. He said, makes sense. Turn around and walk back down to the dugout. Now, again, I'm no golden boy here. I don't get you know, what yeah. I just happened yesterday worked for me, mm-hmm. and it worked in that scenario. And there are certainly different scenarios with higher level stakes. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I think it's important that sometimes we just have to keep ourselves away from the warrior we're like look that's the way it is you get on down to that box don't come down here and talk to me i don't that's a judgment call you have no right to be down here Mm -hmm. coach those there's a time and a place Mm -hmm. and picking the time and the place i think is what can elevate well my first thought is how do we teach people what the time and the place is well, let me let me go back to something here and, and back up just a little bit because I think maybe it'd be good for us to to put a frame of reference around some of this. Um, you know, so when we talk just about the concept of warrior versus guardian, 
Um, a guardian is someone who is protecting something, right? Um, I grew up playing Capture the Flag. I don't know if anybody <laughs> played that as a kid. Yeah. Okay. On, on Capture the Flag, you had a group of guardians. And the guardians were the ones that were around the base where the flag was. You mm -hmm. didn't want people to take your flag, right? So you weren't out to get the other team. You were out to protect your flag. So in the law enforcement world, that's to protect that community. It is to uphold the, the laws and regulations that that community has chosen to abide by. All those kinds of things, right? Protect life. Yeah. Yourself and others. And yes, it's a protection. A warrior... By, by its very word, goes to war, mm. right? Mm -hmm. A warrior is someone who goes to war, who participates in war. And a warrior wants to win because a warrior, if they win, they live. Mm. Right. And if certainly they lose, on a sport field, <laughs> we're not talking about death and life. And yeah. But I, I think we have gotten to a place, especially within American sports culture, where people are using that terminology all the time. They are. You're right. right? The, mm -hmm. the sports teams. All right, boys, we're going to war today. Mm -hmm. You know, all right, ladies, let's go to battle. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we hear that kind of terminology all the time. And I think sometimes as sports officials, when we hear that kind of terminology being used, we immediately internalize it as they're going to war against us. Mm. Okay? They're going to battle against us because we're the ones that they seem to be in conflict with. We have to remind ourselves, we're not the ones they're in conflict with. They're in conflict with the other team. Mm -hmm. The other team is the only one that can beat them. Mm -hmm. We can't beat them. Mm -hmm. The other team can beat them. The reason that there's conflict with us is because there are times they feel like we stand in the way of them beating that other team. Or we make it easier for the other team to beat us. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. But we are not the true opponent in the war. I agree. I agree. You know, we, we are, as, as Alan has said here, our intent is to be the guardian of the game. Our intent is to be the upholder of the rules. You know, the traditional language we've used in this world forever is we are the arbiter, mm -hmm. right? You know, we arbitrate what should and shouldn't take place over the course of this game. And so I think that's really important for us to remember in, in all of this is that if we go into the, a game with the mentality of I want to win, well, that's crazy because we can't win that game. If an official goes into that game and says, I want to win, what they're winning is their own internal approval rating on their ego. Mm -hmm. That's what I think they're seeking. Sure. And when you're seeking to have your ego come out undamaged, I think there's quite possibly chasing something that's not the appropriate goal, mm -hmm. both in your mind and in your life. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's more comfortable sometimes to feel like you're always right and your ego always wins. but in the house, in your family relationships, in your work relationships, chasing your ego is a, a, a failing point or pretend, you know, significant potential failing point. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like if my wife says, I need to do dishes and my ego says, I'm not going to do them, I've not progressed my marriage. No, right? Absolutely. I'm That's not saying exactly where and, I'm coming and from. it's about affecting my ego. Well, my, my ego says, I don't want to do the dishes. I'm not going to do the dishes. You're not going to tell me to do the dishes. And that's affecting my ego more than the guardianship of the marriage. Exactly. I like it. 
Yeah. Then the the other thing that I find interesting here, and, and I do want to get to go ahead, Jeff. No, See, no, no. I, I I do want to get to what are some of these components that help us actually, you know, put it into place when the rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. I, I like for us to kind of head towards that as we move towards the end. So hopefully that's what people remember right. as we get to the end of this. But I, I would just ask the question of both of you within your respective sports worlds. What do you think the tendency of most of the officials that you work with is? Do you think they lean more towards the warrior side or more towards the guardian side? I'll let you go first. I sense more on the warrior side. Uh, my bias is because I specifically look for that. I, if I were to ask each person that I was to work with, are you, a, you know, and take the time to explain what my interpretation of these two and how they relate, most, I think, would say they'd be a little more leaning towards the guardian side. But when you look at the behaviors of the responses or the officials when we actually get together, there are a large part warrior. And I'm not trying to be overcritical. I mean, there's a time and a place, mm-hmm. absolute time and a place where you're going to shut something down. Mm-hmm. You're going to be able to flip a switch mm-hmm. and turn that dad voice on mm-hmm. and make sure that Look, no, I am in charge here, and we are done with this conversation, and here's why. Mm-hmm. Please, you know, and again, working the college side, you have that ball strike warning. Mm-hmm. Or in the verbal judo side, is there anything I can do or say to get you to do this mm-hmm. before I have to go on to the next step, mm-hmm. which is setting context? In the law enforcement side, anything I can do or say to get you to place your hands behind your back mm-hmm. before I physically make you submit mm-hmm. on the college baseball side is there anything I do or say to get you to go to that dugout before I have to eject you from mm-hmm. this game you know very similar kind of concept sure. mm-hmm. and and I think I think most people don't most officials I work with don't want to have a game blow up where they hate being on the field mm-hmm. and when you have those negative interactions of the court or the field you're going to I would. I don't relish that. Yeah. I'd like to be kind of like the Homer Simpson backing into the bush, but you know when you need to be, I will be there. Yeah, right. And and the guys and gals play the game. Mm-hmm. We get through the process. We walk off the field, and everything's fine. Yeah. That's cherry pie stuff right there. Yeah. So repeat the question for me. So do you believe that the overall tendency of the officials that you work with at the levels you work in the sports you work leans towards defender or warrior? This is my answer. I believe a majority of people, not just sports officials, are looking for someone to take a lead. And if that leader is taking on a guardian role, most everyone will try and do the same. I, there are some hard warriors out there that will be warriors, and that's just who they are. And it, you know, that could be the, a very difficult process to get them to change. But a big portion of people that we come in contact with are looking for someone to, which way should I go, right or left? And when you walk in a locker room, whether it be in a baseball diamond or at a basketball court or, or a football arena, they're looking for someone. And if your crew chief is a warrior, you know, you're thinking, oh boy, I gotta, you know, he wants me to be a warrior, she wants me to be a warrior, and that's not who I am, but I'm gonna try and be as firm as possible. And you're not gonna try and convince that person. So 
I would say if our leader, our crew chief, our coordinator of officials, whoever that is, takes on a more of a guardianship role, others will move towards that. They may not feel comfortable in it, but I think it's just easier because especially if we find, so, you know, 100 people, 50 of them are 100 people. I'm going to do it wrong here. So we got 25 are hard warriors. The other 25 are hard guardians. The other 50 are like wherever you want me to go. Bell curve. Yeah. It's your bell curve. Right. So when they when they try and figure, so the person they're with, hey, man, I'm, I'm with a guardian today. I'm, I'm okay. And then eventually, hopefully, if there's enough guardian making enough impact, that 50 will start moving more people towards guardian and more people towards guardian. And those people that are undecided, I mean, I'm with a warrior today, I was with a guardian yesterday. I like the way the guardian went. I'm going to try and go towards more guardian. And I think that's our job as leaders is to find that, you know, if, if our supervisor of officials wants us to be more guardianship, then we need to find a way to be more guardianship. And, but we have, we, we still have those choices. You, you don't have to work for people. You don't, if, if you don't like the warrior mentality, um, if that's what we want to call it from a supervisor, then go work for a different supervisor. If, if you were working in, in law enforcement and they said, you know, if, if you're supervising, if you're, you know, all the training you went to, if they didn't start going towards guardianship, you may have said, you know what, I don't know if I want to be in law enforcement anymore because of this thin blue line and, and all this warrior mentality. So, um, I, so I, I believe there's probably way more people that are, I don't care which way it goes, as long as we can find some success. Because the ultimate goal is what you said at the end. Everyone doesn't want to have conflict on the field. No one. No one is looking for conflict on the field. Even the warrior is not looking for conflict on the field. They tend to experience it more, but they don't, they're not like, I can't wait for some conflict on the, on the floor. On the uh, I don't know that I totally agree with that. Yeah? I, I think there is a percentage of people, both as participants and as officials, that look for conflict. Hmm. I really do. And I specifically think, now, I don't think this always happens at the upper levels, but I think especially at some lower levels, you have some people that are looking for, and especially if there are people that maybe don't have as much control in other aspects of their life. Mm. Now, here is an area they have control over, you know, and so because of that, now they can assert themselves in this situation. They can shut that guy down. They can kick that fan out. Mm -hmm. They can do whatever that might be. And I, I do think there's a percentage of it. Now, I think, I think as you move up, I think it's very hard for those kinds of people to move up. Yeah. You know, because mm -hmm. that, that just isn't going to fly most places. Because like you said, since they're looking for it, they are going to experience it. Mm -hmm. And other people aren't going to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Now, you brought up something really interesting on the ride down here, Alan. That um, I, I think everybody in this that's listening to this podcast right now can relate to what I'm getting ready to say. You are driving down uh, a county highway. And everything's fine it's a beautiful day you're not paying attention to anything except how how blue the sky is and how warm the sun feels and all of a sudden you look in your rearview mirror and a law enforcement officer is pulled out of a side road has their lights on and is pulling you over 
You didn't have to tell everybody I got stopped recently. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think all of us, anybody who's ever been pulled over, the moment I just describe that to you, you begin to get that little feeling in the pit of your stomach again, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, it is one of the most uncomfortable feelings I've ever had in my life. And it hasn't happened very often, thank goodness. But when it has happened, it's been an expensive lesson to learn, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned something about that, Alan. I don't know if you remember this or not. But you said something along the lines of when people get pulled over and they have that adrenaline rush or whatever it is that happens, people respond in different ways. And almost like the the way you were describing it to me, it's almost like they can't control what their response, their immediate response is. Like some people get quiet, some people cry, some people get angry whatever is that kind of an accurate statement to what you were were absolutely you know emotional response is is a huge aspect of living and who we are we all have an emotional response to something and if you're not conditioned to the to the to the what's being inserted into the equation here then your response could be anywhere and and you know what i what i was trying to to get across is that as the one in control I've done a thousand traffic stops and I know what I'm going to do. And I've experienced so many of them that it's just a routine piece, but I haven't been stopped a thousand times. Mm -hmm. I haven't been in a culture where I have to wonder what's going to happen to me at this traffic stop Mm -hmm. or an international, somebody who's in the country for the first time. And now for the, or for the first time having, contact with the police so as the one who's in control we have to remain in control and we have to recognize that their response could be anywhere across the board and so a calm uh, we we, again we use verbal judo it's hi I'm Alan I pulled you over today because you were going 75 and a 55 and there any reason where you headed somewhere you know, and of course, my response was, "Well, I was listening to the Uncommon Drive, and just <laughs> all excited and not even paying attention to how fast I was driving." Slow and, down if you're listening right now. So. Yeah, because you will get stopped. Even me, I've been stopped listening to the Uncommon Drive. It just pushes you right up top. But it's to me, it correlates back to the, into the officiating side. Is that you're the calm one? You recognize this. You've been doing guys that you know work high levels of basketball or baseball have seen a lot of mm-hmm. reps and a lot of experience. That's just an ordinary whatever type of violation. Yeah. But to the coach or to the players. Ah, man, that's good. To mm-hmm. them, they're like, I've never seen that before. What, what, do, you, what, what, what do you mean by that? How, yeah. how is that because mm-hmm. they've not experienced it? Mm-hmm. I also described to you a play where I was on the plate and I had a stolen somebody steal home. And I've watched it a bunch of times. But until I in, I, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I got this. But until it happened, I'm like, uh-oh, here he comes. Here's the pitch. Here's now the catch and the tag. Oh, yeah, he's, he's out or safe. Mm-hmm. But wait, there's more. Mm-hmm. They all turn to you and say, ball or strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did he swing? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't know. Was still stuck at one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Have no clue here. Uh, Did he go? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a matter of, of repetition, some right. So on the traffic stop, we don't know what to expect from them. When we deal with a coach, we don't know what to expect. And, and that's, what, that's what I loved about this because, again, I think so many times when we see a coach or player respond with high emotion, 
a lot of times we think they're responding directly personally at us. You know, we talked at one of our last podcasts about this idea of, of having some empathy mm-hmm. for where a coach or player might be at. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that it always has to change what we, we do or say, but I do think it helps us just internally be able to, to, to be a guardian, as, as you're kind of talking about here. A, a warrior sees a high-level reaction and a warrior beats it, I'll, I'll go one higher, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. A guardian, instead of trying to go one higher to push the person back down, which very rarely works, we're looking for a way to help them back down as a guardian. And so if I just understand that making a big call in a big moment, maybe one person just kind of melts, you know, they're like, oh, you know, and they melt down and oh, all is lost and woe is me or whatever. Whereas another person immediately goes into fight mode mm. because there's been this stimuli that's come and, and that's how they're responding to it. Now, there are still things that they're not allowed to do, you know. So if, they're, if their fight mode causes them to cross a line, we still then have to enforce the rules as written. Mm-hmm. But it does help us, I think, not not internalize it so much as being specifically directed at us. They are responding to the situation. Now, they may be responding in an unhealthy way to that situation, Mm -hmm. but they are responding. Then the other question that I had, and you brought up verbal judo multiple times. Jeff and I have talked about verbal judo on the podcast Mm -hmm. several times. If you have not read the book, Verbal Judo, I highly, highly suggest you as a sports official you get it and read it. I would say it's a read and a repeat read. Yes. You know, there's many books that I've read and not necessarily reread. Verbal Judo is one of those. Um, uh, it Takes What It Takes is one of those. There's multiple books that, you know, because I, I feel like those books have great insight and what happens, it, we need a refresher. We right. just need, we, you know, you do that in law enforcement, right? Just because you take training on January 5th, 2015 doesn't mean you don't need a refresher on 2018. Well, and it's going to do well for your marriage. You're working off the adages that you learn in the verbal judo. That yeah. If it feels good, don't say it. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, if it feels good, don't say it. Spoken like a true husband. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> learn that lesson. To bring up this verbal judo, you know, we talk about using verbal judo with, uh, with coaches and players. But we've just said there there are an element of other officials, and we don't always get to choose who we're paired with to go work a game. Yeah. Are there ways to use verbal judo with our partners in order to move them more towards a guardian mentality? Absolutely. I mean, to me, that's every day I walk in the locker room. I want to be. I've worked under the three hundred sixty leadership, three hundred sixty degree leadership principle all my career. Is not only if I'm the top guy, I want somebody from below supporting me or encouraging me. There's there's, there's leaders all around you, and you have to do to work on that. And so I think that there's an opportunity for each of us individually to go in and see how we can influence on a positive side, not control, mm-hmm. but help influence a situation or a scenario. And, and we, we also talked about like command presence, the way you simply walk and carry yourself. If I carry myself as like, hey, I'm going to let you do something today in the conversation in the locker room versus as opposed to talk about you know, the process and how we're going to work it through. And you kind of work together as a partnership as opposed to, uh, look, you're just here to be seen and heard. Go out and work you two. And, and you know, those, those things certainly play a role going into it. But I, I think it's very important to be a calming factor in every aspect of everything 
um, every of your event that you work. Mm-hmm. If we can bring verbal judo into our locker rooms, that would be the first step to actively use verbal judo in everything we do on the field. Because it, like I talk about with communication, how do you be a good communicator? You practice good communication all the time. How do you be good with verbal judo? You don't just use it with baseball coaches and baseball players. You should be using it with baseball partners. You should be using it with baseball supervisors. You should be using it at home, those kind of things. So um, I think it's it's a must. And the, the, the biggest the biggest takeaway you can ever get from verbal judo is, you know, what is it? If it feels good, if it's going to feel good to say it, don't say it. And that is, if we if we just follow that one rule, we would be so much better. Yeah, it would it would solve a lot of problems before they happen. Mm-hmm. But it, it takes you back to what I was just talking about. If your, your children are doing what you've asked them to do, but they're having the last word, yeah. So what? Yeah, they're right. doing what you asked them to do on a baseball field in a time and certain you know within certain limits. If they're muttering under their breath as they're walking away, and it's not personal. But they're going to the dugout. There's really no reason on light protest for me to chase after them and say, you need to stop that now. What have I done? I just personalized it because I used the word you need to. And chasing down things that are essentially irrelevant. Now we, can have, we, all, we all have bad days. And we all have, you know. But in sometimes you have to look at yourself and say, did I really, did I miss that? Or am I just going to be that guy that said, I didn't miss that? Well, I, I related to the the kids cleaning their room. You got the kids to clean your room, and you got it, even though they're muttering. And then after they get done cleaning your room, and then you go in and say, "I told you I'd get you to clean your room." Well, that didn't help anything. All that did was make you feel better. Yeah, it just didn't help. And they're not gonna they're gonna regret doing that. You know, they're gonna they're gonna probably even have some some ill feelings towards you because you came and said that. So that's the same thing when we you know. When you, whatever, restrict someone to the dugout. And then two minutes later, I told you that was going to get you to be quiet. And you did. You know, that just didn't help. Yeah. So then, Alan, what are one or two practical, everyday things that we can do in our officiating role that that help us take on that guardian role rather than the warrior role? What, what are some ways that we, you know, we can kind of nuts and bolts this a little bit to where this is, this is the process? I think mindset of uh, a self-evaluation of your mindset and where you are going into it. And understanding that like the day that we got into squad car and started to work, everything that happened off the field really needed to stay out of the car at home, really needed to kind of stay there as much as it could because now I have a job to do. Some of our careers are life, have life and death implications. I don't know many situations in the officiating world, or I haven't experienced, where I have a life and death scenario. Mm. Obviously, somebody could get hurt by a baseball, or there could be a, a very bad scenario. But if I go into the mentality, of my mentality is I'm going to go out here, and I personally go out and try to have fun. If it's not fun, I don't want to do it. I'm retired. I, I don't have to keep, I mean, I, I want to, but I don't have to. And... So kind of a self-evaluation of why I'm here, what's, you know, what's good about this process, and, and a, a clean mindset. I think that's, that's number one. Clean mindset. I like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, and I say clean in that it's, it's just not, I'm not trying to go out and boost, boost my ego mm-hmm. or 
pounds somebody down. Neutral, clean mm-hmm. kind of yeah. mindset. So I, I think, I, I think it, to me, my my approach is always kind of a, a mental side. My, I want my mentality. I want my my mind right and strong, so that I can go do the best. So my question, okay, I know you're going to give another one here, but what can I do to to achieve that going in? I think it's preparation. Okay, it's just practice and routine and confidence. When you look at the scenarios. Take the whole body of work that you've done. Mm-hmm. And as you do different things along the lines, some are received well, mm-hmm. some are not. Mm-hmm. And recently, we, we, we may talk about this before, but when you're working with a, a group of, of young men on a baseball field and you're using a phrase or a language that relates to them, that's a positive response mm-hmm. that you got from that team. So why not continue it? Mm-hmm. I put that in my tool bag mm-hmm. as a positive response. Mm-hmm. When I stand a certain way or I approach it as a certain way and I get a, a, a negative response mm-hmm. and then I do it again and I get another negative response I need to put that tool at the lower level mm-hmm. that's probably not the right approach to do on this mm-hmm. so to me that's that's how my mind works so a little bit more self-evaluation absolutely I, I like over I, time seeing what works as well as recognizing in the moment what it is yeah. that I need to pull out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to, you have all these tools and they may or may not work, but it's, you start with a foundational layer and then you mm-hmm. add things to it. And when that layer that you just applied fails, strip that off and mm-hmm. you're going to start again and, and keep building on for it. But okay. recognizing in the moment, sure, this is a good time to coach. It, it, this conversation has gone on. I've answered all your questions. I'm not hearing any more questions. Is it time for you to return to the dugout? I mean, that's very soft. I, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily say that, but that's the, that's what I'm wanting them to receive. It just makes me think. Do, do you? Have, I'm, I'm wondering how everyone else thinks about this. Do you, do we? Do you think we recognize more of the things we said wrong, or more of the things we said right? Depends on what our mentality is. If we're trying to make sure that we're protecting our ego. We don't recognize anything we say wrong. We talk about all we said right. Mm-hmm. And when we're in the middle of an argument about something, and I said, Jeff, you threw three things out. Well, you know, you threw two out. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't. But in reality, two-thirds of my statement was right. So which one of us is going to be right? Mm-hmm. See, and- I'm not even sure that's that's totally right, Alan. I think, I don't know that people with that wrong mentality know when they say things right. But I think when they say things wrong, they think those things are right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, I can agree with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I again, because it's because it's ego driven. Mm-hmm. Well, I told him to get the heck off the field. Yep. So it's ego driven, but it's all about saving face. Mm-hmm. And your ego saving face mm-hmm. is the key. And yep. nobody wants mud in their face. Mm-hmm. And the f- perception of it, even at home about saving face, I mean, just with your children. Mm-hmm. It's okay with your children, and I think in amongst friends to say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a time and a place on a sports field to say, I made a mistake, mm-hmm. we have to move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 but again, saving face feeds into that ego, in my opinion. Well, and, and I think that, that concept of, of saving face, whatever term somebody wants to put to that, I just think we think that makes us look like a better official, but the true perception is that we are a weaker official. Uh, there was a play that happened at this tournament that we're at, 
and uh, third base. I was working third base. Coach came to me and was at, it was a play at the plate. He was asking me. He he came out. They'd automatically gone to the video. They said the the results are inconclusive. You know, mm-hmm. and so I'm just kind of joking with them. We're having back and forth. I said, well, you know, Major League Baseball that means call stands, right? He goes, well, absolutely. And and he you know because I didn't I didn't fight him back and say. Oh, I'm sure he got it right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that at all. It was, well, hey, then, you know, we, we kind of are where we are, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. He said, absolutely. And went on to say, you know, I mean, he was in the perfect spot to make the call. You know? So, again, it, but if, if I had come back at him, oh, I'm 100% he got that right. Well, how can I be 100% he got that right from 100 feet away, mm-hmm. you know, 10 feet past Wait, you, you haven't know, sat in stands in a while, have you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm kidding. I but, digress. But, but, but as an official, I think, you know, and again, so that goes back to that, that thin blue line that you were talking about before. Sometimes we get the idea that sticking up for our partner means saying that we have to agree with everything they did or we have to back them up with everything they do. And that's, that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I need to be ready to, to do my part to help guard this game, mm-hmm. to do all of that. Um, to protect them in case there there were a moment of of high intensity where there's danger or something like that involved, but it doesn't mean that you know. Well, you know, they said my strike zone was horrible, and you never told them they were wrong. That's not protecting my partners. Mm-hmm. That's that's not my job in that moment. Now, if they cross the line and there's something they need to be penalized for, then yes, then, mm-hmm. then that is my job. But, you know, there's other things like that that I think, I think we have to take into consideration there. So I, I, I like that a lot. So, so what you're saying, the, the first step that we can take to get to that guardian mentality instead of the warrior is our preparation before we ever come in. It's, it's a mindset thing. All right. So then what's a practical thing that you do? What's, what's something that either verbally or physically you do when you're out on the field that helps project guardian versus warrior? I honestly focus on the way I stand and walk. And there's there's certain, we called it command presence in the law enforcement world. And it just means that my presence does not degrade the situation. Mm-hmm. But it gives the aura that here's a person who, when needed, can be in charge. I already know I'm in charge. When I was a police officer, I already knew that I had the ultimate decision out of an arrest or no arrest scenario, there are certain things you can control. And on the sports, on the court or on the baseball field, it's the same way. How I look, walk, point, stand. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about the guys that don't put your hands in your pocket because it looks like you don't want to be there. I don't know that, I don't disagree with that. Mm-hmm. But that's not my focus. I don't want to be standing there like I'm looking for a fight. Mm-hmm. And if I'm standing there like I'm looking for a fight, or as the coach is coming to me, I get into a fighting posture or stance. I think that I have failed to meet the standard that I'm trying to meet in being a calming command presence. I'm in charge. I know it. Mm -hmm. I really do. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to make it seem so in your face. Mm -hmm. That's me. I mean, that's just that has been very successful. application for me in my law enforcement career and my political career and my uh and in my officiating career i think it's it's played bode well to me and and i also fully understand the weaknesses or the strengths of my own personality of my own i mean i'm a high a person that 
was quick to make decisions and very direct in my responses. But what I've described to you is not a high A direct person who's mm-hmm. quick to make responses. Mm-hmm. I've trained myself to remember the circumstances and situations that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And there's you know, times I fail, but the majority of the time I want to come out on top where when I've given you the traffic ticket, you're at least saying, thank you, have a good day. Mm-hmm. And that's not because you like the fact that you now have to pay $175. That's because you like the fact that I treated you with respect and dignity and care for your emotions and heard you out or, or whatever in that process. Yeah, that's, what's the phrase? Fair enough, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Listen, I'm not happy I'm going to speed ticket, but I got one. Fair enough. You know, we're going to move forward. Um, so, yeah, I, I like that. Well, and you brought up something when you were talking about Jeff earlier uh, off, the, off the podcast and uh, Jeff watches tons of video of his games. I watch a ridiculous amount of video of my games. And you, you made a comment to Jeff, something along the lines of, you're not watching what's happening in between plays or when you're, you know, because you were talking again about the way you stand, the way you do stuff away from the action of all that goes on. And I, I found that really interesting. I, I would challenge our listeners to do that. The next time you're watching video, don't don't fast forward through the timeouts. Hmm. You know, how are you standing during a timeout? Do you do you look aggressive, like you're just waiting for the next thing to go do, or is it relaxed but yet still with the presence of, hey, I'm I'm here to do a job. I'm I'm in control, not in a controlling manner, but in that I can step up and take control if the need arises. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, just even saying that, there's probably people listening who who can think of somebody in their officiating career. Oh, yeah, well, they always look like they're in control. And typically those people, it's not because of what they're saying. It's just how they are holding themselves. And so if if you look at video and you don't hold yourself like that, find find some people that do, you know, and, and I tell this to a lot of different people, find somebody of a similar build and size is you and find out is there something that works for them well then try it Mm -hmm. because something that works for a a 6'4 240 pound you know guy might not work for a Mm -hmm. 5'3 110 pound female Mm -hmm. you know there there are things that have to change just with our physicality and our presence but I I think that was a really great thought that you brought up Alan that how do we look maybe in those moments that we think people aren't looking at us? Yeah. Well, I think what was the phrase? You know, you need to watch yourself when you know the camera's not on you or something like that. Something I just like. hope the camera's not on me because I'm usually singing along with the song being played <laughs> between the. So. But there's some real truth there. I mean, there's some truth in when he said it, when he said it in the car, right? I'm like, hmm, that, you know, I don't think I've ever done that. I've never looked mm-hmm. at. I've probably have, you know, over years of doing these kind of things, I've pre- you know, perfected it in a way that works for me, but never put it into a thought that that's something that people need to learn how to do besides call balls and strikes, safe and outs. Yeah. Well, you know, as we're wrapping up today, Jeff, do you have any other thought that you kind of want to add in here? As we're- yeah, I wish I would have brought my pencil and paper, but I'm come unprepared but I, there was um, I, I think we, we just really need to if we're going to move forward in our officiating career or anything we do there's so much more for us to 
accomplish and learn via others who we didn't think we would ever come across and ever have the, you know, if, if we wouldn't have rode together for the, you know, a couple hours, mm -hmm. you know, I had a chance to learn a lot about these are things I can improve on. These are things that I could be better at. And, um, if, if we can keep that mindset and be willing to, you know what, as much as I love to be by myself and love to just listen to my 50s music, you know, when people get in the car, they like to turn it to 80s. Yes, sir. I agree. 80s is much better <laughs> you know? than 50s. But as much as I like to do that, but I had a chance to evolve uh, and learn some things about myself and some things that, you know, I, I, can, I can take into the people that I affect. And, uh, and I'm thankful for that. So I think if we can just really focus on that, those those games will come. Yeah. Yeah. Alan, you got anything you want to share with us here at the end? Uh, it's been great to spend the time together um, and to have the opportunity to discuss some of these things. And I'm really excited about the concept discussion about the Guardian versus the Warrior. And for those that are in law enforcement now, no, I'm not saying be softer or anything else along those lines, you still have to, and in law enforcement, you do have to win. You've got to make sure that nobody else gets hurt and you don't get hurt. But from the officiating, extrapolating that whole does into into this this side of our advocations, it's, I think it's very relevant, and I think it help, will help humanize the official as much as we try these days to humanize the badge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I find it really... Uh, really great to hear from you you know uh, within the officiating world we come from so many different backgrounds so many different cultures so many life experiences and uh you know there are gonna be people listening to this today that have a negative connotation of law enforcement officers and if you're one of those people today i hope you're a little bit encouraged by hearing alan say that the movement in law enforcement is to move towards that guardian status you know, hopefully that gives you just a little glimmer of hope. If that's not been your past experience, I hope that maybe that gives you a little glimmer of hope. Uh, for those of you that are in law enforcement, we are not trying to compare what we do to what you do each and every day. Where you literally put your life on the line. Uh, what could be a routine traffic stop could be somebody's last moments. Mm -hmm. And we understand that. And we're not trying to do that, but we are trying to, to learn from someone who has some parallels to what we do in officiating. And so, Alan, I really appreciate you taking time out to share this with us today. I think it's something that can be really valuable, especially if we carry these conversations into our preseason meetings, mm. if we carry it into our locker rooms, if we carry it into the phone calls that we have with our friends as we're getting ready, you know, and instead of, you know, you got that coach at such and such a school, oh, it's going to be a battle today. Mm -hmm. Well, what if instead it's about, hey, how can we guard the game today? Mm -hmm. And then the, the very last thought that I had is there are still times a guardian has to go to war. You know, when I played capture the flag, mm -hmm. if somebody tried to come steal my flag, if I was the guardian, I still had to go tag them, mm -hmm. you know? And so what we're saying here is not that officials become milk toast. another term that uh, has been brought up this weekend. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not that, it's not that we're weak, it's not that we're soft. Mm -hmm. But it's now we are very specific in when we choose to take on that mindset. 
And, uh, and so my goal, uh, my hope this coming year is for me to be a better guardian of the games that, that I work. And uh, I hope that as this uh, conversation uh, has been going on, I hope that it's helped you in your drive towards success. I hope that you choose to be uncommon with what you do and that you become a great guardian, mm -hmm. uh, not only of the games that you go work, but of the life that you get the opportunity to live. That's right. Be a guardian of all of it. The officiating, your marriage, your family, be a guardian. Wake up being a guardian with the preparation for war. Does that yeah. make sense? Yep. Yep. I love it. Guys, thanks so much. I hope you have an awesome week. We'll be shooting another episode out to you soon. Uh, look forward to us catching up uh, now that we got behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See y'all later. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Uncommon Drive Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.